Hey folks, welcome back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is the very funny comedian from the D.C. area, Winston Hodges. He's been working on his debut comedy special, Grieving Productively, which is out today. It's free, it's online, chip in a few bucks if you want, but go watch that special. Winston's a really funny guy. We've been doing Zoom mics for, God, I think nine years. So trust me, he's a good guy. He's very funny. You don't want to miss this one. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate you listening. Please like, share, subscribe to the podcast. Give me a good rating. Maybe two. You can only vote once, but you can rate twice. Do it. Thanks so much. Talk to you guys next week. Take care. Peeling back my sunburned skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I hope they let me in I appreciate you being here, man. I, I hope I didn't pull you away from anything. No, not at all. I'm doing absolutely nothing today. <laughs> so this is this is a perfect day. This is great. <laughs> What's your schedule like with the pandemic? Well, dude, I was teaching up until last week when I quit. So right now my schedule is I do whatever I want, uh, whenever I want, until I run out of money. So that's <laughs> <laughs> that's where I'm at right now. So just looking that's for been jobs. me for like the last two years. Yeah, yeah. Just I'll do whatever I want until the money is gone. <laughs> nope. What did you teach? Uh, I taught like uh, at a school for autism. So I work with like sped kids uh, full time. So I'll probably find something. I just moved to DC. So that's why I had to leave. So like, uh, I'm I'm looking for something up here, but I'm kind of taking the month of September off to edit this comedy special thing I'm working on and do a bunch of fucking zoom open mics and just try to get my shit together. (laughs) Do something. Yeah, man, like, obviously, you know, but uh, yeah, we met doing a a Wednesday mic with Yeah, it's so funny, because because that mic is based out of Florida. It's got mostly Pennsylvania and New York people in there. It's weird. A couple of Florida. It's it's like it's hodgepodge not to, you know, play on your name. Yeah, but it's just like like all this these vagabonds yeah just slide into one it's kind of kind of fun yeah i remember so like i i did the jimmy's mic so like i had signed up for jimmy's mic like twice and both times he double booked and so he had to tell me oh man we can't have you sorry and then he finally fucking let me do it and then now it's just like yeah just show up whenever and it's like what the fuck <laughs> just lets anybody do it uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you could tell because i'm in it yeah i thought it was well i thought it was like this like oh yeah it's like it's got this book thing and then like i finally do it and it's like it's a fucking writing session it's like <laughs> yeah. fucking jimmy <laughs> it's fun though it's a good time that's probably that's the mic i probably look forward to the most because it's you get to do your jokes but also like I think the ones that are just set up like regular open mics are fucking brutal. It's just not, I like the feedback. Yeah. I was running one for a while based out of Binghamton and it was fun for like the first three or four weeks and then just people stopped coming. And it was a, it was a writing (laughs) workshop too. And I always had this joke where it's not even a joke, but the Binghamton's so apathetic. So like for years I was like, you know, the only way I can get people to come to an open mic in Binghamton is if we hold it in their house. Yeah. And then we and then we had Zoom and they weren't coming. And I'm like, yeah. well, there's nothing. OK, there's no, nothing like, like do. done. My science work is over. You just don't want it. Is that upstate? Yeah. Binghamton's upstate, but everything is upstate. That's what I figured. So it's like it, all if it's yeah, not the city. It's <laughs> yeah. Like from uh, I used to live in Baltimore. So, OK, it's four hours from Baltimore. So what, okay. four and a half, maybe to D.C. Yeah. And uh, depending on traffic. But yeah, it's, it's far enough away from the city, but close enough to if you want to go down, you can do it. 
That's pretty uh, cool. But centrally located, it's around Syracuse and Scranton, Pennsylvania, and uh, Rochester. How big is it? Is Binghamton pretty big? Yeah, it, it's on the map. I mean, okay. it's it's, uh, it's probably comparable to Albany, maybe a okay, little bit smaller. Cool. The only places I've been uh, for comedy up, like up there is I've done uh, my my buddy. He headlined at comedy at the Carlson in Rochester, and like I went and opened for him once, and that's a pretty is dope that Chris club. Chris Allen. Yeah, he was headlining, so I got the he's a he's a great dude. So at the I did like a spot in front of him and got to meet uh marky polito the the gm or whatever and that's a that's a great club that club's like awesome yeah. it was super fun i saw chris open for mark norman a couple oh, of years really? ago yeah. yeah he was up there and then uh he had a couple people from rochester uh one emceed for him and another buddy uh did a guest spot cool so i know he goes up to Ro- uh, rochester what every thanksgiving or something yeah he tries to go because that's where he's from originally um, yeah. So he was. Yeah, he was. So he was like born in Rochester. So he's got like a bunch of family and stuff up there. So we went up. Like I think it might have been Thanksgiving when I when I went up with them or right afterwards. And we just went up and like stayed in a hotel. But like he he got got to meet like his whole family and stuff, which was which Rochester was pretty cool. That was a pretty cool spot. Like uh, we were only up there for a couple nights, but it's the type of place where I think you could kill a few days and have a pretty good time. Yeah, they got a pretty deep scene too. I book a lot of shows, and I'll find myself going into Rochester as well quite a bit. Okay. Uh, a lot a lot of good talent. Carlson's really good. They do a good job of of rewarding their local comedians with hosting spots and I don't know how many people get features, but but they do get regular work at the Carlson. So it which keeps is, them hungry. Which is awesome. Which is like all like honestly that's what you need is a club that's willing to at least have some local comics open. Like to give you something to shoot for because if not you get comics that like don't fuck with the club at all and get apathetic and don't want to do anything. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they get pissed off of the club, they badmouth it, and yeah. kind of ruins the, the community. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. Well, that's cool. Is there a club in Binghamton? So, yeah, the Boho, but it's it's kind of a... Oh, that's Bill Lake's thing, ju- right? Yeah, Bill Lake. It, yeah, the, the problem with the Boho is that it's set up in a hotel. Well, the problem with everything in New York right now is that uh, the shows are s- shut down, but the Boho was relatively new, so oh, it got man. a bunch of traction, but... But I'm not sure enough to sustain. So that we're sucks. kind of like fingers crossed that it's going to come back. And I think it will. Uh, there was a lot of community support for it. So I th- whenever they do like a pop up show here and there, they always do pretty well. Okay. So I hope that they can rebound and, and everybody around here can. But we're kind of just waiting on, you know, the pandemic to die down and and for them to re- uh, relax sanctions, really. Yeah. Some of the fucking some of the rules. Uh. <laughs> Basically. So what got you started in comedy? Oh man, I've I've always loved it. Like comedy's great. It's uh stand up. I used to think we're like the coolest people of all time. Like my parents used to let me watch it when I was a kid and then grew up and got into different types of stand up. But I was one of those dudes that like I was so into stand up I knew how hard it was. So I was like, I I don't have it to do this. And then I went through a breakup and had a job I hated. I quit that job and the local uh, the funny bone had a clash of the comics, which is like their local contest or whatever. And so I signed up for it and I had a good set. And then I just started going up pretty much every night. I could, I just kind of like fell in love with it. How long ago was this? Uh, about five years. So I'm like, I, I just hit like the five year mark in like August, not August, no in March. Yeah. Five years in March. I knew it was during the pandemic, all these fucking months just run together. Yeah, I know. I it was kind of depressing. Like I hit four on July 13th. That's my birthday. And- <laughs> Oh, there you go. Maybe, maybe I did it for you. Hell yeah, dude. I appreciate hey. it, man. Four years, <laughs> yeah, four years ago, I turned 26. And you're like, I'm going to do some fucking stand-up. <laughs> but yeah, I, 
I celebrate it. Usually every year I, I do a show on, on that anniversary. You know, yeah. it's, I never broadcast, hey, it's my anniversary show, but like it means something to me. I'm like, okay, well. See, I'm I'll a shameless kinda, whore. You know, I'm like, yep, yeah, it's my oh, really? five year. Fucking come out, baby. Watch me <laughs> do 30 at this open mic where they're giving me five. But come out because I'm running the light. I would be afraid because like knowing me, my luck, I'd be like, hey, everybody, come out. It's my birthday. It's my birthday <laughs> show. And nobody shows up. And I'm like, well, yeah. okay. <laughs> like now, now I know yeah. what you really think of me. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's fair no that's always like i don't know the uh, comedy so hard man that just every year you stick with it it's just a, it's like you know i need to celebrate it and just be like this is a big day i'm gonna do and it was weird not doing comedy on my birthday and not doing comedy on my comedy anniversary it was so weird because i had like ideas for i was gonna like record a set like a headlining set on my five-year thing and try to do something with it so i now had to take that idea and patch together this with through shorter real life sets and like online sets and just being like well shit this isn't what i wanted but it's what we're stuck doing so well i mean it seems like you're pretty busy even on zoom i mean i just do that if by busy you mean i just sign up for all the open mics (laughs) do something (laughs) yeah yeah i do a lot of open mics i do a lot of weekly shows uh taking a break from the weekly shows right now just to finish editing this special thing. Um, but other than that, it is, I, I try to keep myself pretty busy because if I'm not busy with comedy, I'm like in my head and not doing super great. So I, especially like I'm an extrovert man. So like not being around people has been fucking awful. I've hated it. Well, that's one of the big things for me with being on stage. And I was doing, I was producing 14 shows a month Oof. around the state. And it was, a lot, it was a lot of work and a lot of time. But it is a lot. if I didn't, if I didn't do it, then I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm just going to, what I would do would, would, you know, think about why I'm not getting booked or if ever, anybody likes me, you yeah. know, like if, if I can do that and I always joke about it, I think there's an element of truth, but if I book you, Hey, you could be my friend for two hours. No, for real you know, though. Sure. And, I got to pay you 40 bucks, but whatever. That's I'm awesome fine. though, man. 14 shows. That's so many to run. I hate running shows. So that is crazy. Just why like, don't you like you- it? I don't think any, I don't get any reward out of that. I don't, it doesn't, and I don't know, man. I don't like hosting shows. I put too much pressure on myself when I'm the host of something like, oh, if it's bad, it's my fault. Or if someone doesn't do well, it's my fault. And I don't know. I just don't like, like hosting is just, it's different than just doing a set. Like it's very, very much, much so. like, yeah. And it's like when I talk to people, cause, cause I'll have other like newer comics be like, why don't you like hosting shows? And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like when you host a party, um, the person that's having the least amount of fun at the party is the host. It's like, yeah. You're, yeah, you're just making sure the guests have a good time and your reward is at the end of the night when everyone tells you that was a really nice party and I don't give a shit about that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to do time. I want to show up at the party early, help you set up maybe a little bit, do my spot and then hang out until I'm, I'm ready to leave. Because uh, dude, I know you know, I'm sure you've hosted a terrible show and while the oh, terrible yeah. shows, you can't leave. You're fucking nope. there it, and it's like, it's the worst feeling in the world. Even worse than that is when you have a horrible set, then you have to sit there and be like, okay, well, not only did you hate me for these 10 minutes, well, every 10 or 15 minutes later, you're going to be reminded me again. of how much you hated me. <laughs> and then afterward, I'm going to collect your money or whatever. It's like, yeah, oof. dude. And like, the thing I like most about like a situation like that is like, it's all my equipment. So what I can yeah. do is while everybody's leaving, I can clean up. And I'm like, you know what? I'll just gonna hide here and yeah. put away my speaker Dude. and whatever. You know, I'll just sink in the back. That is the best about when you're putting on the show and it's your equipment. Is there something so if you've had a great set and people want to talk to you, you can 
it's your stuff, so you can wait a little bit to put it away. And if it was bad and you just really want to get that rhythm of you know exactly what order to take it down in and you're taking your time and you're just like, I got to get the hell out of here, man. So I do like that. I, I don't know, man. I, hosting and running shows isn't bad. I just I, – 14 a month is a lot, man. That's so many. Yeah, well, again, I think part of it was uh, I, I see this this area is kind of apathetic where nobody really wants to do – any of the production. Yeah. So I did. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I can do this. I like booking shows. Uh, part of the reason I do this podcast is because I can get to know the people I work with. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's also a good way to showcase, you know, talent around now. You know, I've gotten, I think you're from Virginia. Well, yeah. DC now, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the thing, but, but, you know, LA and Florida and, and wherever. So I'm, I'm reaching out that way. But locally, like I can showcase, you know, people who I, who I know work their ass off in Syracuse That's awesome. or New York City or wherever. So I take a lot of a lot of pride in that. So like I got I got into producing shows basically because I wasn't getting booked and I was way too new to really deserve it. Yeah. But I was like, okay, well, I, I saw like there was a like a click system. Like we had in Binghamton, we had like four clicks, and none of them would work with any of the others. That's and I was like, well, that's bullshit because you're funny, you're funny, you're funny. Let's work together and put on a better show. Yeah. So I, I did that, and and it worked, and I was able to get people from outside of town to come in. So it wasn't just a Binghamton only show. So I just really liked that. And then uh, people from out of town said, hey, can I get on your show? And I'm like, okay, cool. So when I figured out a way to you know get money from venues. I'm like, okay, now I can actually do this. Did so you like uh, for me. what's your brand? Do they all booked under the same name or do you just Yeah, do... I, I just do I just do Mike Peters Comedian. Okay. So it's easy. It's you know, it's a page I created I don't know if you way like too a, early. A fun pun like petered out comedy. <laughs> no, no. I think I went through I went through I have so much hidden trauma from like my name being made fun of through school that yeah, no, I'm not figured. doing that. Like yeah. I'm not gonna bring that up. Like yeah, whenever okay. your whenever your name is like a reference to a genitalia, you just stay away from it. Like, no, yeah, no, thank you. Built in, man. You could you could totally branded. Oh man, the Peter the Peter comedy. That's cool though, man. Fourteen a month is fucking insane. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's it's fun. I mean, the hardest part is just keeping everything straight. But if you got a calendar yeah. that works, you're fine. Yeah, that's fair. So why'd you move to DC? Just for a better scene? Yeah, man. It, it's like I had pretty much done everything you can do in Richmond. A local feature act at the Funny Bone. Um, I like local headliner all over uh, Virginia. It's like I'm pretty well respected in that scene. And it was to the point where like I needed to go somewhere. I was already in at all the clubs in DC anyway, like I already worked them. So I needed to put myself in a, in a position to succeed. And I did it during uh, the pandemic because I was going to wait until it ended. And then like a room at this house opened up where the rent was so cheap you couldn't take it like I had to like and it was like this is the push I need and having the pandemic I was able to at first work remotely from my job which was nice um, so it was just like all the things other than not having a job now but like the first two months right. of moving up here it was the perfect setup for it. but it was all just to be closer to more comics better comics better shows when everything opens back up and then just try to like make this thing a fucking career because I didn't think I could do it uh, just out of Richmond. I lived in Baltimore and Annapolis for like eight years. And yeah, I always wanted to do stand up, but just work second shift job. So I'm wondering how good the Baltimore scene is and how good the DC scene is. I would imagine they're both very good. You got yeah, this series and everybody in yeah, DC. This, there's a lot of really good comics here at like all levels. So like the, the people that get to work the clubs, the people below that level, it's like, I'm excited to be in this scene. Cause I think that, um, 
I'll be able to like work hard and being around all these really great comics is going to make me a better comic, which is all I really care about is just getting as good at stand up as I can possibly get. So it's a, it's a pretty great scene. I've, I've got some really funny people I know in Baltimore, some really funny people I know in DC and Northern Virginia and all this stuff. So it's like, it's a, it's a hotbed, man. It's pretty great right now. But you've worked in DC a lot. So like, it's not really that foreign. Like if you if you already have those inroads, does that make it easier? Yeah, I think so. Like if everything had been open right now, it'd be great. Cause I could go hang at the clubs or I knew if everything was open, I would have been moving here and being able to get a lot of spots. Um, which is, which is pretty, pretty great. It's just the, I would have needed to find out what the Monday through Thursday scene looked like, like finding those spots, those like the, you know, the, the open mic, open mics, not the booked ones, um, where I don't know people and then trying to, you know, do, do those type of things. But like, I would come up here maybe once a month and once or twice a month and work the clubs and work, uh, like the big hunt, which is like, uh, the underground comedy thing here that's like was pretty freaking successful. Like that's the club that like a lot of the really dope New York comics will come down and work uh, before they get to the point where they're working the DC draft house or the DC improv. So you get like the people right before they pop and right before they break. Yeah. The only thing I really know about DC is like Berbiglia and Mulaney and Kroll and Gaffigan. They all went to Georgetown yeah. and then started working, you know, DC and then moved away. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, it. so like if, if that was uh, Chappelle too, I guess he was okay there. Yeah, he did. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty famous uh, people have been here. The, the, the thing about all them going to Georgetown, I think it's so funny. Is it's just like, can you imagine being like Birbiglia and Kroll and them and, and you're not even the funniest kid that ever went to your college? No. Nope. <laughs> well, it's funny because like I'll listen to those podcasts and and I just listened to Birbiglia's old one. Well, it's called the new ones, but his old podcast. And he was talking about how he met or knew of Mulaney. And uh, Nick Kroll came up to uh, Birbiglia. He's like, hey, man, this is kid. He's the funniest guy I've ever met. And Birbiglia is like, well, fuck you. <laughs> like, like, I'm I'm supposed to be that guy. And then it, you know, it was Mulaney, obviously. And he's like, oh, yeah, I get it. Like, he's he's OK. Isn't that crazy, man? To just be like, you, I don't know. But it's cool that they're able to, like, recognize that. To be able to be like, yeah, like, like, like Birbiglia is like, yeah, you're probably uh, all right. And he, uh, I think they're all still, they're all friends and shit, which is pretty dope. Yeah. And then uh, Jacqueline Novak was from Georgetown. She's she works with Birbiglia a whole lot. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a bunch of other people. But yeah, I I don't know, you know, if uh, if you got another, you know, John Mulaney kicking around D.C. right now. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, no, there's a there's a pretty good comics, him. man. But no Mulaney. Yeah. That would, wouldn't that be great. Holy shit. That would be my, that would be <laughs> I'll take that career in a heartbreak. <laughs> Absolutely. Is there anybody you looked up to uh, before you started comedy? Maybe now too. Oh man, I loved all types of stand. That was the one thing that I think uh, helps me to have like a pretty unique voice. Uh, is that like I like all types of comedy. So like Sinbad was the first comic that I like really really liked. Like he's fucking amazing i still think he's great um and then like all i used to love the comedy central presents like all those half hours used to be like my favorite thing to watch so like atel and hedberg and maria bamford and and kathleen madigan like all all those people um but i would just go through phases man i used to really like dane cook i love Chappelle. you just go through those like it's like dane cook shit came out when i was like 14 years old so it's like this is the time when Dane Cook like I was like it was perfect. I was like this is the funniest shit I've ever heard in my life. But all types, man. I don't I don't discriminate. I love all types of comedy. I think Dane Cook for me, I think I was just out of college 
Uh, yeah. I remember living in my my small apartment in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania, and my you know uh, a friend of mine uh, it seemed like every college girl loved Dane Cook. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, would, I believe maybe that. it's maybe it's because he's gorgeous. I don't know. Yeah, he was but, a good looking dude, man. He was a <laughs> he was a handsome guy. A lot a lot of charisma. Sure I'm sure he still is. I mean, he was great in Employee of the Month. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and w- waiting's great. Yeah, uh, that's true. But yeah, I remember seeing him and and I I thought he was funny, but I didn't get the arena type appeal. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I, I just didn't understand. Like, I didn't think he was that funny, but I was like, fuck, man, you can do it. Go for yeah. it. Yeah. So he was the comic when I was like in middle school, going into high school, where one of my friends got his CDs and we would sneak and like listen to them. Like, so that was like what he was to us is it was like he was the kind of like, uh, oh, he's saying the F word and he's talking about all this crazy stuff. But we're like in middle and high school and we're staying up till 2 a.m. just listening to his records. So that's like the so for me, I was like, I was like, Keith, I, I, I remember there was a period where I was like, this is the funniest dude who's ever lived because his Comedy Central Presents is astounding it's insane to, how good that half hour I, is i gotta go back and, and you know listen to it or watch it and uh but for me it was uh seinfeld's i'm telling you for the last time chris rock roll with the new and then uh sandler's what the hell happened to me okay we would we would play that all the time and then you know a little bit later we got into carlin yeah but th- those guys were just gods to us and still yeah. are really and cosby was huge to me that cosby was like that's the one that's like his is like uh, it's not you know good to say uh, that hey, he's super hey, influential. His, his later stuff was not great. Yeah, uh, well, I guess it was in the seventies as well. But yeah, yeah no, uh, himself was so good. And it's, it's my dad. My dad would play. Uh, on the way to his mom's in, in Pennsylvania, he'd put that cassette in and we'd listen to it over and over and over again. Yeah, dude, we had like so many Cosby tapes and we would just play them. And like, yeah, it's like, uh, it's crazy. He's the best. He's one of the best comics of all time and also one of the most prolific rapists in the history <laughs> of the world. Just, a, just prolific well, in everything he does. Good and I terrific. Gonna say, I was going to say, you know, if you're going to be the best at anything, you want to be the yeah. best at everything. And he just, yeah, he, he took the Michael Jordan mentality to the worst possible thing that you possibly could. <laughs> oh, man. I went to uh, uh, I went to Mansfield University in Pennsylvania. And for a long time, our claim to fame, you know, we, we had a good music school and communication department was pretty good. Political science, great. But our biggest claim to fame was that in an episode of The Cosby Show, Bill Cosby wore a Mansfield sweater. And now we're man. like, oh man, you took you took the best thing we the had going away from good us. Good thing, yeah. That's that's crazy, man. When they when they in that is, that's y'all are the real victims uh, of the whole. Yeah, basically, <laughs> <laughs> the real victims of the Cosby fiasco is Mansfield College <laughs> University or whatever. That's hilarious. You, you guys don't know pain, like no. yeah, you guys don't get I it. Mean, I can't even see anything. No, I can't even see it's negation anymore. Like yeah. this is terrible. Quit, <laughs> quit making this about you. <laughs> This is all we fucking had. Yeah, man, Cosby oh, man. was. Uh, so, but yeah, I saw him live twice. I've seen him like I saw really? him like I saw him. Yeah, I saw him live when I was like thirteen or fourteen in Richmond, and then when I was at Virginia Tech, he came and played, and that was like two thousand and twelve. So I saw him like oh, a wow. few years before, it, like right before the Hannibal thing happened. Uh, when he Hannibal came out and was like, "Yeah, Cosby's a rapist," and that, I think that's crazy that a bit changed the world. 
Because I don't even know if any of that stuff would have come out if Hannibal hadn't said something. It's insane. Orbit that believed so quickly. Yeah, because it was like immediate. Like it went from Hannibal said it on stage so all these, to all these other comics being like, yeah, it's an open secret. And then people started coming out with the accusations. And, it, and I felt like that picked up steam pretty fast. As far as like, well, once it started, I mean, it took like 45 fucking years for them to get away with it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. (laughs) But like once it got out, it was pretty crazy. That's Cliff Huxtable. Like, yeah, I know. Right. It's like he's not going to do that. America's black dad. Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) But it makes sense because like, you know, he's a doctor. He can prescribe everything. His patients come to his house. Absolutely. And he's an obstetrician. So he's got access got problems man what can you what can you do yeah, i saw him twice and he killed well, how hard was he live amazing he killed super hard it was unbelievable unbelievable to see i've seen like a bunch of when i was at tech i got to see cosby before he got in trouble i saw joan rivers right before she died and i saw greg Giraldo before he uh before he passed away so i got to see all three of those guys why does anybody keep going there and then, yeah i know right it's like that's why would you go <laughs> because it literally was like but seeing Geraldo was cool because it was in a humongous auditorium that was about half full and nobody knew who the fuck he was. And he went first for our homecoming and then the comic after him was Michael Ian Black. So it was oh, wow. weird to it was weird to see him opening for Michael Ian Black. But Geraldo did great, super funny, and then Michael Ian Black had a pretty had a pretty good set too. But I remember seeing Geraldo and being like, That's the dude from Tough Crowd. Holy shit. Yep. Like I'm seeing the guy that I tough crowd was like tough crowd and adult swim were the first two things that I remember sneaking downstairs to watch, like waiting for my parents to go to bed and being like, I'm not old enough to watch these things. So I'm going down. And they were both on at the same time. Like 2001 is when they were both, both happening simultaneously. And like uh, just seeing him in person and being like, Holy shit. And then watching him struggle, like watching a guy that I know is a killer and hilarious have to work really hard to get 3000 college kids who are, mostly indifferent to who he is which blew my mind because i'm like this is greg Geraldo. he's so fucking great was he just not relating to the crowd was just one of those things where like he's a super smart comic and what he talks about isn't necessarily what i think orientation homecoming college students really want to hear so it's one of those things where i think a lot of people were there because it's comedy and then he's still there and he did like some local jokes up top that got him on their side. And then just like, and it wasn't even that he was bombing. It was just watching a dude who I thought was an amazing comedian do pretty well. And now that I do stand up and I've been in front of not crowds that big, but crowds that are that indifferent to what I'm doing. Um, yeah. What he did was so impressive. 30 minutes being able to get his stuff to work to get people to care about him when like more people knew who Mike Lee and Black was. Um, there were more people there to see that guy than Geraldo. I'm actually uh, surprised more people knew who Michael Ian Black was. But I think it's because of Stella was out that when he had that on Comedy Central. And then right. also, like, I think a lot of people knew him from Wet Hot American Summer and, like, I Love the 80s. Because he was doing the I Love oh, the 80s, yeah, right. I Love the 90s, and I lo- like he was doing that sh- those shows, and I think that's where people knew him from. And I think at this point, the only thing Geraldo had done that they might know is like I think he had been on some of the roasts by that point. Um, and if you didn't know him from Tough Crowd, and that, and that was like uh, – Tough Crowd was like eight years prior to that. So it's like this was 2009 because it was my freshman year. Okay. You missed that shooting at Virginia Tech, right? Like, yeah, I missed right it. before you which, got there? Which one? Be specific. There was one when I was there too. Oh, I, my fault. <laughs> when I was there, a cop got shot, which is like 
And we were all devastated, but it was good to know that if that had happened 12 years later, we'd be celebrating. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a different era. Uh, but like, uh, yeah, man, I missed it by like two years. So like that was 2007. Okay. And then I went in, I was like a sophomore in high school, but I knew a couple people that were there. Yeah, it was weird, man. Cause it was like, when I was there, they did like a few. So for the four years after it happened, they would do a huge memorial thing on the drill field, which is like the where you walk across campus. And they did it for four years because they wanted it to be like, because some of the people that passed away were freshmen. So they wanted to be like, we right. want it, we're going to do a celebration up until those people would have graduated. And then after that point, they um, recognized it. And I don't think a lot of like, it was like April. So like, I don't think a lot of people had classes that day, but they didn't do the big, not celebration isn't right, but the big memorial every year. But I remember going to those and like looking back on it now, just being like how powerful and moving that was to like be a part of that. Cause it was like 7,000 people standing on the drill field with candles, just like with speakers and stuff. But I missed that by like a couple years, but we had like another shooting on campus and people were like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, it's just a cop. We're good. Don't worry. Yeah. I'm all right. <laughs> I'm at home. I'm in my apartment. <laughs> I worked at a, a newspaper in Annapolis that got shot up. We had like five people died. Jeez. And yeah, I, you know, I hadn't worked there in four years, but it felt like, oh, you know, I, I was almost there. Like it, it would have been, it would have happened. Yeah. The uh, almost. Yeah. The, if that was yeah. close, <laughs> the closeness yeah, like, uh, of it. Uh, I sat next to one of the guys who died for five, six years. That's insane. So like, yeah, like I don't know because they moved buildings and he actually changed apartments. So like I don't know if I would have been there, but I know I'm a fucking idiot. If I saw somebody with a gun, I'd run at the guy. Or at least I say I tell myself I would. Oof. But you know, I, I don't know. Knowing me, I'd probably hide behind a desk. <laughs> yeah, I would be under uh, another body. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually that's gonna happen. Yeah, I'd be like, let's do this. Uh, like, like where, where's the editor? Get over here. I need a human <laughs> yeah. shield. <laughs> yeah, for you know, real. Remember that remember that raise you promised me six months ago? Come here. Yeah, you don't give me uh, I don't get paid enough yeah. to not use you. That's a fucking no, shield. No, but, but I as I was a reporter for a long time and I remember seeing that shooting, I'm like, oh no, I gotta I wanna go back into news mode. Like I wanna be there. Like but I can't imagine like you miss that shooting. It's like, oh, I kind of wish I was here for that. Like, no, no. It was like it happened. And I was like, oh, man, do I still want to go here? And it's like, yeah, I want to yeah. go here. Uh, it's just a it's just a weird thing, man, because because I remember when that was happening. It's just such a surreal moment. We were watching it on the news just being like we were like in theater class and they just put it on. And it's like, holy shit, this is happening here because it's where my dad went to school. And it's where I eventually ended up going. So it's just like, holy shit. Just like, yeah. It was, it was nuts. I'm glad I wasn't there for it, but it's cool because it's like, uh, I was not there for it. Uh, but the moment anyone hears uh, that I went to tech, they're like, were you there when all those people got murdered? It's like, no, it wasn't, not that one. Uh, <laughs> not for that one. Uh, it's good to know that that's what we're known for. Well, I was either going to ask you about that or uh, Michael Vick in the dog ring. So that's another one know, that I, I can ask. So I, I, wasn't, I wasn't there for that. Um, all right. Well, I went, I went to, yeah, I went to a few of the fights, though. Uh, me and Mike were oh, good, good. friends. <laughs> yeah. did, you, did you win some money? <laughs> yeah, I won a, a, quite a bit of money, actually. Uh, oh, good. good. When I called the cops and was like, hey, Michael's running this dog ring. <laughs> <I> wanna... <laughs> Come down here. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, I forgot a, about that. Yeah, the, all the things oh, we're really? for. Michael Vick. Uh, yeah, I knew he went here. Like, I obviously know he's the best football player that ever went here, but uh, went to Tech. But uh, it is funny to be like, oh, yeah, that's where I went to school. And we're known for that. And we're known for the shooting. And uh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> was there like a comedy club, uh, like a, an organization? At, yeah, there, at there's, yeah, there was. Uh, a, there, there was. Um, so when I was a freshman, there was 
There was this one-nighter. They would do a one-nighter once a week. It was like Wednesday night, and they did it at this place called Attitudes, and then they moved it to another restaurant, and then eventually they settled at this bar called Tots, which is top of the stairs. And they had a club for the local people that wanted to do comedy, and there was one dude um, who ran it. And so my senior year of college, I was like, you know what? I've wanted to try comedy. I'm going to do it. So I reached out to him. I was like, hey, man, I want to do anything I can to get involved. I would love to do I would love to try stand up um, if you guys have an open mic or if you're doing classes. It's like, what do I It's like? I'll take tickets. It's like, what do I need to do to get involved? And the dude left me on red. He never responded. Uh, at oh. all. So that kept me from trying stand up for like three years. I was like, you know what? That's like it's not meant to be if like the guy that I've seen live and like if, if he doesn't even I was like, if the barrier to entry is like I can't. You know what I mean? Like even have someone respond to me. It's like, I don't know. It's really fucked me up in the head. So I just didn't do it. But the cool thing is now I get to go back to that room and headline. Like it's like, uh, like, like once or twice a year, I'll get to go back to Blacksburg and like uh, do that show. And it's a super fun one nighter. It pays pretty well. And it's cool to like be working a room that like uh, the dude who used to run it wouldn't even get back to me. So it was like a cool, like, uh, like, Oh yeah, I get to work. This This is dope. I'm good enough to headline, but you didn't think I was good enough to take tickets. You fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember his name? Um, no, I don't, which is awesome. Oh man. Oh, you don't remember his name. Like you're fine with that. Yeah. I don't give a shit at all. Man, no, I for me, I would want to remember his name forever and then occasionally look him up and maybe send him an invite. That's to funny. Show. My thing's like, I think if I knew his name, I, not knowing his name is great because I think if I heard it, I would remember it. But being active in comedy, I still haven't heard it. So it's like, that's right. great. <laughs> that means he's done. He's quit. He's out of it, which is like, so there's nothing that I can do that would be worse than him not being able to perform anymore. But I remember him not responding to me and just feeling fucking devastated like fuck oh man i can't even take tick like i was like i offered to take a class he didn't even want my money Dude, he, <laughs> he, he saw my picture i was like i don't even want this fucking white guy's money get the fuck out of here i don't have time for this shit no i i think it's probably unhealthy but i use like personal slights as motivation you're you know, absolutely like, correct that, you know, that is unhealthy oh. Yes, like, but like, ever since I was a kid, I'm like, fuck you. I want to be on this club. I'm going to just fuck you. I'm going to run 14 shows around Bingleton, you piece of shit. Damn right. (laughs) If Bill Lake had booked me one time, uh, (laughs) maybe I would have been gone. You know, like, it's all out of spite. Matter. (laughs) If Bill had booked me one fucking time. Yeah, that's all I wanted. Uh, No, I I just, even back in college, like, like I would, I would be told, oh, you can't do this radio show. I'm like, all right, well. I'll get, did I'll get you. And yeah, yeah. I ended up being the general manager of the radio station. That's pretty so awesome. So it's like, yeah, it was like, fuck you. Like, I mean, that didn't really happen. But like, that's the motivation that, that I would need. Like, like if somebody says no, I'm going to find a way to do it and then be in charge of it. Yeah, it's like, like Michael just, Jordan, though. Michael Jordan would make up things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, no, absolutely. That was the greatest part. so funny. He's just was like, the greatest part of the last dance. It's like, dude, no way. I, no, why would anybody badmouth Michael Jordan? Yeah. He just creates everything. Yeah. It's just like, it doesn't matter. You say nothing to him. He's like, yeah, I'm going to show him. He told me this. And the other guy's just like, I didn't, what do you, <laughs> it's like the scene from the movie, the water boy, when they tell oh, him yeah. to vi- visualize uh, the other person saying water sucks. He's like, I didn't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that was what Michael Jordan was doing to people in basketball. He was, <laughs> he just, he had a lot of captain insanos in his yeah, life. Yeah. Hey, captain insano. And it's, he's like, what are you talking about? Stop. <laughs> 
Uh, so you're not teaching now, like, but when you're, when you're, do- I mean, I've heard some of the material, Yeah. but was it, was it easy for you to take stuff from the classroom onto stage? It's hard because like, it wasn't easy being like, that's funny. I can make that funny to an audience. It was like, okay, I'm talking about my rule of thumb is, um, because I was working with a community of students that are like, usually people make fun of like it's kids with autism or whatever. So I, my rule of thumb is. I'll only do a joke if it's funny whether or not I mention they have autism or not. And the students will never be the butt of the joke. Like that is the only, and that was tough because it's like, I'll see some people go up and they'll be using like the R word or whatever, which is fine. I just, I just choose not to use it or they're using other stuff. Be like, Oh, I was seeing this kid doing this or whatever. Or they'll talk about their students. And I'm like, yeah, the kid's the butt of the joke. And that's just not what I wanted to do. So that was what was hard for me as I made it more difficult for myself by being like, I don't want to go like the hack route of just like fucking saying these kids are whatever and talking shit about them when it's like, they're fucking great, man. That's like, if I, I, I miss my kid, I miss my students a lot. They're fucking awesome. My sister is mentally challenged and you know, her diagnosis is mental retardation. Yeah. So, uh, we always thought that or at least I always thought, cause my parents never really told me, uh, what she had or whatever. Maybe they didn't know. Maybe yeah. it was like a combination of things, but whenever I started to talk about her on stage and like, yeah, yeah, my sister's mentally retarded. Everybody shut down. And I'm like, yeah. okay. And like, that was always a hard part. And, and maybe the joke sucked anyway. You know, there's always that possibility, <laughs> but the only time that I can remember recently that I've, I've used her on stage and gotten a good response was when I paint her as like the best kid, yeah. like the best of the family. Like, like, I don't know if you heard the joke I had, but, but it was like, my mom gathered us all around a living room. She asked us how much money everybody has. And my sister gets, uh, you know, her social security already. So she has, she gets an allowance. She's got all this That's money. Awesome. In the bank. And like, and my mom said, she pointed at all the kids and my, my oldest sister had like 500 in the bank. My, my brother had like 40. I owed my mom money. And my mentally retarded sister has 13 grand in the bank. And I'm like, my mom's like, that's why she's my favorite. And it's like, <laughs> so it's not a slight on her, but I'm like, but like, I just have to, I have to be careful with that. So I, yeah. I'm not sure how to navigate that line. It's hard, man. Um, it's, it's hard because like, I'm also someone that's like, uh, I've got a lot of friends that are comics that will say the R word or whatever. And it's like, I'm literally, I'll never censor another comic at all. Like, it's like, I, it's all about like what the lines are for me personally. You know what I'm saying? So it's like yeah, uh, what, yeah. what what I, what I'm comfortable doing, and it is hard, man. That's a hard if you don't want to go the route of like because you you can work some rooms, and I'm sure you can say whatever, and they're just like, holy shit, he said that. Oh, that's fucking amazing. But the way that I am trying to work is it's hard because you have to be like, no, this is coming from a place of love. It's like I work with these kids, or this is my sister. It's like you guys are making a judgment on some shit that you know literally nothing about, and it's just I think it's one of the touchier subjects to talk about on stage and to not be like mean or hurtful or anything like that. Yeah. And, and just, and then just trying to find it. But that's great. That joke's great. Um, that's really funny. Like, that's well, awesome. I, I don't, I don't take any offense to retard or whatever. I, yeah. I really don't. I, because I try to look at everything and I, and I blame George Carlin for this because yeah. I look at everything in the context in which it was spoken. So my, this happened, I was in a newspaper and my editor, at the Annapolis Capitol, I think he's at the Baltimore Sun now. He, you know, he's at the time, probably late 50s, early 60s. Great guy, really nice. Yeah. 
And the debate, we worked in sports. The debate was always, we didn't want to cover the Special Olympics in our pages because it was a community news event. Yeah. And so like we only had four pages and we needed that. We needed that for the, the Ravens and the Redskins or yeah. the Washington football team. Sorry. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah that's, that's the R word I was talking about, actually. Yeah, <laughs> it was that one. But like, so my editor, he comes over to me, goes, oh, by the way, uh, Special Olympics, I got community news to take it. I'm like, cool. He goes, and he goes, uh, yeah, we don't have to worry about those retards. <laughs> and like, and I'm like, well, that's kind of funny, but. I was like, yeah, and I, I went, I went through it like. It's funny because that's like, an insane thing to say. Like that's just yeah. such an insane thing to and, say. Uh, to yeah, so like, but I went and like to his defense, I think it was like 2011 when it was a yeah. okay, and uh, but and I said to him, I'm like, yeah, you know, like my sister's mentally re- retarded, and I don't think that should be in the sports section. And and he goes, he just shut down. He goes, I am so sorry, I said what I said, and I'm like, no, yeah. it's fine. But for the next two years, I worked at the paper. Every few months, he go. By the way, I, again, I'm sorry. That's awesome. I said that. <laughs> I'm like, that level I'm like, of guilt. Totally, you're fine. You're fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I um, mine was like when I was working with those kids for four years, and it's like my school was 46 weeks a year. It's like 40 hours a week, and it's like um, it's one of those things where like if you slip and say that word, you can get like written up. So it's yeah. like uh, so it just got to the point where I was like, not that I was using it in my act at all, but I mean like I was a middle schooler once. I used to say that word a lot. Uh, and just like, as I've gotten older, I've just tried to like breed it out because it, and it's not even because it's like, oh, that's so crazy offensive. It's just like, it doesn't work in my act and it's not a fight that I want to fight with the audience. Right. You know what I mean? I use it one time in my act and it is me quoting a direct quote from one of my students where when I started working, like my very first time when I started working, I was given a tour and like uh, they have these things called stereotypy or uh, uh, or stemming when they just like do the same hand movements and stuff like that. And it's just like yeah. they, they, they like that a lot. So one student was doing it and another student looked at me, didn't recognize me and then looked at the other student, hits the other student and goes, hey, you need to stop that or the new guy's going to think we're retarded. And uh, yeah, and it was just like and then the teacher's just like, hey, you can't use that word. And I was like, I'm pretty sure he's the only one that can use that word. I think it's- <laughs> <laughs> like it's like that's their word they're allowed to but that's the only time i've ever done it is like a direct quote and and some of my favorite comics use that word some of my best friends use it but it's just like when you get in that i just had to be like i had to wash it from my brain because i was like i could lose my fucking job <laughs> yeah by like saying that like, by using that word to describe i don't know a video game <laughs> or like, like- <laughs> Maybe it's like growing up when when we grew up. Like, yeah, uh, I'm 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 37. So you know, when I was in high school, things were gay. Like people weren't even yeah. gay. Things were gay. That's yeah. so gay. Yeah. And I remember when I was in ninth grade, I was in science class, and this guy kept saying, "Oh, this is gay. This is gay." And I said, "What if I were gay? Like, why yeah. would you say it that way?" And I just didn't understand. And I didn't think I was being. I didn't think I had a progressive mind or anything like that. I'm I'm 14. Like I'm yeah. just trying not to piss myself. But he's like, "Why are you gay?" I'm like, "No, but it makes no sense." I, I, I think I was more upset with the the grammatical use of it. Yeah, the word. Like, yeah, it's an affront to the English language. Stop doing yeah, what you're doing. Yeah, and, and you uh, know, I was the same way, man. I was like, uh, I think I got towards the tail end of that because I'm 30, and I remember people trying to quit using that like my freshman year of college. Like, I think I graduated yeah. right on time before getting because uh, I would just use it all the time. Like, it's just like that and then say fag all the time. Like, it would just be like, and I'm like in middle school. Yep. And it's just like, yeah, that's just the word I would use to describe my friend when he beat me in Halo. And it's like, uh, and, and that's another right. word that I think is incredibly hard to make work on stage, even being ironically Halo? homophobic. 
Yeah, Halo. You can't get Halo to work. Yeah. Uh, no, just, yeah. <laughs> no. You're just like ironically getting a uh, fag to work on stage is so hard. Like when you're making fun of somebody else for for using it, it's just uh, it's it's super difficult. That and the R word are the two big ones. <laughs> yeah, I did a show up in New York with uh, I don't know if you met her, Ellen Doyle. She's all, I don't she's think like so. all around the country. But she was funny. She was on stage and she's like, uh, she's from L.A. or from Scranton, but worked in L.A., came back. And she's like, I I love being back on the East Coast because uh, you could say faggot on stage and nobody gets mad at you. Everybody applauded. And she's like, that's amazing. That's not the reaction I thought I was going to (laughs) get. That's amazing. Yeah. And somebody behind, I I was in the back, somebody, he just turned around and goes, he didn't say N-word, but he goes, you could say the N-word too. And I'm like, maybe I should have picked a better spot for the show. Yeah, nice job. Good uh, good job booking. It's like, yeah. Oh, boy. White, Thank white, you. White, I'm a champion. Yeah, white, yeah, white comic using the N-word is always fun <laughs> to see. It wasn't even a comic. It wasn't the comic. Oh, that's was, amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, he had a camo, you know, vest. So I'm like, yeah, oh, so it was, it was I figured understood. that was going to happen. Yeah, it's a given. Right. Maybe, maybe he thought I couldn't see him. Yeah. <laughs> Who said that? Well, Bush just said the N word. <laughs> I think the, the same show, uh, the owner came, like one of the owners or managers of the club or the bar, he came over and told me that he killed a guy before. And I was like, you don't even know me. Wow. Like, like you should not do that. Like, Jesus. like thanks for being just open, but don't. To a crime. It's like, hey, I just want to do It's a great show. Um, only, the only note is I killed a game. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. It's like, the only note is I. <laughs> I killed a guy. Why don't you try so, right. something that has a statute of limitations on me and yeah, then work or, up to murder? Also, it's like it's also one of those things where he said that and then like uh, wo- uh, it's crazy because like the woke mindset is like, oh, he was gay. But the normal mind should be like, he killed a guy. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like, oh, no, like uh, the priorities are not straight in 2020. It's like, we'll worry about the underlying homophobia behind the murder when we get to court. But <laughs> the fact is... <laughs> Yeah, he wouldn't let me suck his dick, so I killed him. It's like, oh my god, you got a lot, <laughs> you got a lot going on. <laughs> Have you ever run into a situation on stage where, like, you get a guy like we're a woman, you know, we're open minded, uh, who is just a complete dick to you? Yeah. <laughs> All the time. I just did. I just headlined a show and had hecklers for 40 minutes the other day. Yeah, it just happens. People just look at me and uh, I do a lot of crowd work. Um, but like, I, I don't know if I just attract it where people are like, either they look at me and they're like, oh, I can fuck with this dude and it's not a big deal. Or just my energy on stage. It can be like intimidating to like insecure guys. And also, I think really drunk chatty women feel like they can hit on me and it just becomes like a whole so i've dealt with like a lot of it like a lot of heckler stuff but i'm also not the comic that's like i'm not ignoring it i think is also the other thing which is like they'll say something and i'm like i'm fucking no we're dealing with this yeah i've had a dude pull a gun on me once um yeah he like flashed his fucking gun at me because i was like i said i said something i should not have said to that gentleman okay okay But it was like he was being homophobic. So like it was I was maybe three or four months into comedy and I was in this place called Far Downers in Crozet, Virginia, which is like 30 minutes past Charlottesville. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's like you're out of the progressiveness of the city and you're in the country and they're doing an open mic night. And it's that type of open mic where it's comedy, music, whatever. And I go up and I'm talking about dating apps because I'm four months into comedy. And this guy who's who walked in 
And you can tell he had been overserved at another establishment. Like he came in and they're still pouring him drinks and was like, this is fucked up. So I'm doing my set and he starts yelling about like, yeah, we don't do that gay faggy dating shit here. We don't do the gay ones. Yeah. Go back to Richmond. Obama lover. That's what he yelled. He called me Obama yeah. lover. He yelled at me. That right. was his like, uh, yeah, that was like, is that's Rich- his PC Rich- version uh, I, I was told when I lived there, I was told Richmond is the gateway to the South. So it's weird yeah. because it is the it is the capital of the Confederacy, like it was. Right. But in the area, Richmond's pretty woke. It's an art city. Okay. Yeah. Like, right. yeah, it's like there's like a bunch of colleges there. It's pretty it's a pretty progressive area. Like the scene down there is also super woke too. Like it's a super politically correct comedy scene. So it like it taught me how to work those types of rooms so you can like talk about whatever you want to talk about, but do it in a way that's not going to offend anybody. And we did, um, I'm doing the show part now. He comes in, he's yelling this stuff. And then I said, and I should not have said this at all, but I was like, I was like, I was feeling myself. I was like, Oh, I'll handle this guy. I was like, Oh, that's crazy, sir. That you're concerned about other people's sexuality when you look like everybody who's ever fucked a child. And he like, <laughs> <laughs> he like the audience was like no like they knew this guy they're like why would you say it? no and he like flashed his gun he's like i'll fucking kill you and then the host is like stretch you're doing great <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is great this is awesome so i bailed and got off stage uh my friend that i rode with was up next so i had to sit in the audience three feet away from this dude while he's staring holes in the back of my head. I'm paying for my friend's food. And as soon as he gets off the stage, I'm like, we're getting in the fucking car. It's like, I'm not getting shot at an open mic. And and so we sprinted out of the venue and and drove away. It was a nightmare. (laughs) But yeah, I get it. I I get that a lot. I would have loved to see that. Yeah. and, And as a story, it's great. In the moment I was terrified. I was very scared. Like it's, and it, it's all because I could have handled that better. But I was like, I'll say the meanest thing first, and it's like, no, you work your way up to that. You don't, <laughs> you, <laughs> you don't lead with you look like every kid fucker who's ever existed. <laughs> uh, was he bald? Did he have glasses? Uh, glasses, beard, uh, dirty flannel, like boots. Like he looked like he was on Criminal Minds, like that type. Where it's just like, ah, yeah, this is the unsub. He's got him in the back of his truck or whatever. But uh, yeah, it just it was one of those things where the moment everyone reacted the way they reacted, I was like, yep, I won. But uh, at, at the risk of possibly my own life, uh, I might not make it, <laughs> make it out of this far downers. And then like three weeks later, they're like, yeah, we're no longer doing comedy night. Uh, comics are no longer allowed at the open mic. Uh, it's just music, <laughs> oh. <laughs> which is fair. Well, uh, it, it's nice that you had, you had a touch in the history of that time. Yeah, it is. It is. It's nice. They'll never forget. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I usually ask everybody, maybe this is the one, but do you have a worse set, a worse show you've ever done? Oh, yeah, that's that's not even close to the worst. Dude, I've done oh, okay. so many, like, bad. So I'm notorious for I'll take a gig anywhere. Like, I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter what it looks like on paper. If there's money involved, I'll do it. I, I just, I think that's how you become a great comic. I think that it's how you get really good stories. When I think of the first really worst show I've ever had that, like, shattered me to my core was I broke one of the, one of the rules of comedy, which is I, I firmly believe this, you don't, you're not supposed to don't go up more than once on the same show. If you go up right. once, don't get back on stage. Um, I got asked to host in Charlottesville, a ugly Christmas sweater party where I'm just hosting it. It's going to be two yacht rock bands. I do 15 minutes of comedy up top and then another five to 10 in between the bands. So I go up, there is nobody here. 
Um, I'm doing my 15, and it's a humongous venue. I'm talking like, it's at this place called the Jefferson. It seats like 400 people. The only people there are the people that are all the way in the back of this building, like like a football field away, getting drinks. It's sitting at the tables there because it was an open floor plan. There's no there's no seats or anything like on the floor. It's like people, it's like standing room only type of place. So there's maybe 30 people all the way in the back, two people that are already drunk with their heads laying down on the stage just like up to it, trying to listen to me. And then I just bombed for 15 minutes. It's me doing my material. Uh, the only laughs you would hear when I would do it, the sound would travel to the back of the room. You would hear a giggle. And then that giggle would travel all the way to the front of the room. So I bombed, but I'm like, okay, that's in my mind. I'm like, okay, that's a, not a big deal. It's like, I'm going to get paid tonight, no matter what. I bombed, but I bombed because no one was here. So I'm trying to psych myself up. We go. I, I'm like, there's like a, the the green rooms like under this like like underground underneath the stage, and then when the first band's done, I go back on stage. It is now packed with 350 of the drunkest human beings I've ever seen in my entire life. Like they're destroyed, they're screaming. We're doing, and I have to do a raffle giveaway. So as I'm doing this raffle giveaway, I'm looking at the clock because I'm like, he told me I have to perform this next set until nine o'clock. It was 8:40 which means if I do this raffle quick, I have to do another 15 to 20 minutes. So I take longer doing this raffle than anybody's. <laughs> I, like I'm pretending I can't read and I'm like, is it? And so the raffle takes me 15 minutes and then I proceeded for five minutes to do my jokes to 350 people not paying attention to me. Like they're screaming for the next band. Some people are staring at me because they don't understand what I'm doing. Like they don't even, they weren't here for the comedy at the beginning. So they don't know what I'm doing. And this was like first year of comedy. So like I didn't have a ton of material anyway. Like I'm doing everything I got and they're staring at me. And I remember making eye contact with one woman and I can, I can literally see her mouthing what's going on. <laughs> like, <laughs> like what is this? And then just five minutes of that. I bombed the band destroys. And then I just have to hang around for an hour and 40 minutes to get my check. And I'm just like feeling miserable. I go around to get a drink and people are like, Oh, you were the comic. And they were like, no one said good job. They were all just like, man, that right. was rough. <laughs> like, we're sorry. And it's like, yeah, it sucks. But I found my, but my parents went to that, which was cool to see my, I loved anytime my parents came to a show, good or bad. I always liked that. So it was like, uh, it was kind of cool, but it was, yeah, but that's the worst. That's the worst set I've ever had. It, was, it hurt me so bad. I was so was it worth was, the money? Was, just like $106. So not at all. It was not worth <laughs> it. They're like, you're going to get a cut of the door. And I'm like, oh, I got this. And then the cut was like fucking nothing. It was a nightmare. They asked me to do it again. And I was like, and I was like, I'm not doing this again. I was like, there's no. What if you got, what if you got paid per laugh though? So pretty like, good output. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. To, yeah. <laughs> if it was paid per laugh, I'd owe them, owe them money. Uh, it was also before, <laughs> it was also before I started doing crowd work. So it's like feasibly I could do that show now and it would be fine. But I was like, I have to do my material and just like doing material to nobody sucks. It's a fucking nightmare. What in your mind makes a good, uh, how do you get good at being, being a good crowd work guy? You just practice it. It's literally all like there was this venue in Richmond where it was like uh, this guy named Boston John who lives in Vegas now, but he was a comic that not a lot of people liked. But I, he and I, I, I mean, I got along fine with him and he booked a weekly show at this redneck bar, like the type where people could still smoke inside. And he was like, OK, he's like, uh, you can come here. Uh, I give you $15 to do 30 minutes every week. And I was like, I'll do that. I was like, but you, I was like, but I'll only do 30 every week if you are okay with it only being crowd work. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. So I just learned to do crowd work by going into this country bar. And the first week, it was 30 minutes of me asking every single person in the bar, 
what they do for a living and trying to make a joke out of that. And then the next week I was like, oh, I'll just do the same thing. And I get there, it's the exact same people. So I cannot Uh ask. So now it's like, all right, now I'll ask this question. Are you dating anybody? And then each week I was adding a different question until it got to the point where I'm like, oh, crowd work is just talking to people like they're your friends. Like that's, it's getting to know people. And so now I just get on stage, I'll ask a couple questions, get to know them, tie them into my jokes and just finding that that like really helps my rhythm. But I love crowd work. It's great. My favorite sets are ones that have me doing no material and it's just doing crowd work for 30 to 45 minutes. It's super fun. I think I might've done like one or two minutes of crowd work to open the show. Yeah. And yeah, it's just not something, you know, I I host a lot, but like, it's not something I'm super comfortable with, Yeah, but it's also like, you almost can't practice that in open mic. So you have to, at an open mic, it's hard. You have to, Yeah. my best bet is like, if there's any open mics that are mixed open mics, like where it's music and comedy crowd work usually goes over really well there because they don't really pay attention to you anyway. Just places where there's no stakes at all. Like a music open mic where you go up and you're not going to piss any comic. Like the problem is you go to a regular open mic, you feel like you're pissing the comics off by taking time when they want to work on their jokes and you're just using time to like fuck around. But like just literally going somewhere where there's no stakes at all or taking a gig you don't really want to do. Uh, and just being like, oh, I'm just going to use this to do crowd work and just to try to get better. Because you're right, you can't you can't just do it. You can just do it at open mics, but it's, it doesn't doesn't feel good. It feels like you're pissing people off. Well, also like how much? I mean, I don't know about down there, but at the mics up in upstate, like we don't have a ton of people there who aren't comedians. Yeah, so it's like I already know it's a John. nightmare. Yeah, you can't do it Bill. with just like, comics. What am I yeah. going to ask? Yeah, you can't do it with just comics. You need some audience members. That's for sure. Crowd work's fun though, man. When you get when you figure it out. It is fucking nothing kills harder than crowd work. It kills so much harder than actual material. It's insane. Well, it's frustrating to watch when you, when you don't do a whole lot of crowd work. <laughs> yeah. It's frustrating to watch because like you go on stage and you kill for like 20 minutes doing no jokes, no material. Doing nothing. You're like, what the fuck, man? Like I worked my ass off on, yeah. on this joke about, you know, Monopoly. Like what the hell, man? Yeah, like, I got a, I got a monopoly joke. Uh, oh, I, saw, I don't even have one. Oh, I do. I got a. I got like a, a chunk of monopoly. So I like doing both. Like I love doing. My perfect set is I'm doing an hour and thirty of its crowd work and thirty of its material. Like that's super fun to me because it's like it's both. And I and I used to totally understand that. And I used to be like, you know what? I'm not going to go up and I'm not going to do crowd work. And then I would think about it and be like, no, why the fuck am I going to have a bad set just because somebody can't do crowd work? <laughs> it's like fuck you. Like learn, make your jokes better so that they can follow my crowd work or learn to do some crowd. Like because you don't even have to do a lot of crowd work. If you learn to do a little bit of it, it's just that transition from crowd work to material that's hard. So it's like there will be times where I am on a show. And I've been asked to not do crowd work. So I just do material and I'll follow someone doing crowd work. And you have to do something, whether it's just like, hey, nice to meet you or like comment on the room, just something to like reset the room because I've gone up behind people that have like completely fucked up the room and just resetting it, just being like, all right, what am I going to do? Uh, and I always try to end on material, even if I'm doing crowd work. Uh, that That's my way of being present, of being like, yeah, not everybody can do crowd work. I'm not trying to like fuck anybody over. But I always try to end on three or four minutes of like actual material to just kind of set the room back to where it kind of it kind of needs to be. Because you're right, it can be fucking pretty hard to, to follow and really fucking annoying <laughs> to have to follow someone well, that really fucked up the room. Well, like Todd Berry did that crowd work tour. Yeah. And the most confusing part of that for me was that how do you end on crowd work? And he was able to do it. It's like, I guess you just walk away when you get a big laugh. Yes, that's exactly what it is. You 
when I'm doing it, I'm obviously not Todd Berry. So I, like, Todd Berry can just end the show whenever he wants to. Uh, you know what I mean? Like if you see 40 yeah. minutes of Todd Berry versus 45 minutes of Todd Berry, it's fun. I ask whoever's running the show, what's the absolute earliest I can get off? And that's my barometer. I will do everything up until that point. And if I'm doing a lot of crowd work, uh, the first giant laugh I get after that is when I get off stage. And if you're doing crowd work in a show and you're not doing really well, you just do that limited amount of time and you get off stage. But like it's just waiting for the first big laugh or – I have jokes that involve me talking to the audience and like I can use someone's name in it and using a callback to crowd work in material is an excellent way to get off stage. Like you can fucking like just being like, Oh, you know, talk to Tom for 20 minutes and then I do a joke and then the punchline's like, you know, I do so-and-so just like Tom over here. Ah, Oh fuck. You brought Tom into the goddamn material. And it's like, that's, <laughs> that's like you, there's nothing you can do after that. Like when you do enough crowd work, you'll feel the big hit from crowd work and you're like, nothing I'm going to do after this can follow what just happened. So it seems so basic for me. Like, but like, uh, Catherine Ryan, I don't know if you've seen her on yeah. Netflix, but her first special, uh, she does a bunch of crowd work in the beginning. Uh, I guess it's all the way through, but um, she does a callback where she remembers the audience's names. Yeah. I don't know if I could do that. And I, I, don't, I think it's basic, but I think that's so impressive. So it is basic. And, the, and I'm bad with names too. But when you're doing a lot of crowd work up top, making sure to just continually repeat the names while you're talking to them. And then like... Like I'll, I'll do a game where I'll just be like, oh, I'm trying to meet everybody. I'm bad with names. And I'll be like, oh, you're so-and-so. And then every time I talk to a new group, I'll go back to the other group and be like, Tom, Mary, Mark, Kathy. And they're like, yeah. And then as you're doing that, you're continually impressing them. Because it's not easy for them to remember names either. Uh, and then also just don't be afraid, just like in real life, to just be like, hey, I don't remember your name. I've learned so many names tonight. What's your name? And then just getting it, getting it then. Because uh, th- th- that's like a super good trick for like getting the audience on your side. Because it makes it feel like they, they, they feel like you give a shit about them when you do that. Yeah. I, I just started calling people guy. Hey, guy. Like, hey, what's up? I gave up. I gave yeah, up. Gave, no names. Yeah. <laughs> no, nope, not at all. Uh, oh, man. You see, you mentioned you're working on a special, right? Yes. Very excited about it. What's, uh, what's the deal with that? Is that, is that what you're putting together? All the, all the Zoom stuff? Yeah, man. And, it's so much fucking. Stuff? Yeah. So like uh, a year ago, my dad passed away um, to pancreatic cancer pretty like unexpectedly. Like he was diagnosed and then died over the course of 10 days. And since then, I've started a podcast about grief called the Dead Dad Comedy Pod, um, where we have comics who have lost loved ones or individuals that have lost loved ones come on and we talk about using comedy to deal with grief. And we talk about all the fucked up funny things that happen with death that people are afraid to talk about because they don't want to be offensive. But like, I've been working on like 30 minutes of material about his passing for like a year. And I was getting ready to record all that right when COVID happened. So what I decided to do was I have a bunch of old sets where I'm working out the material. So I've got like three or four old sets, uh, including I have a set recorded from the night he was diagnosed. So I went to an open mic the night he was diagnosed. And all I talked about was that and all the stuff's not worked out at all. But it's like some stuff is still funny and still there. And then I recorded my first in person show at the Cidery in Richmond. Uh, I got to close out I hadn't stepped on foot on the stage in 110 days, and they let me do 20 minutes at the end talking about it. I took that, and then I did a Zoom show where it was me, and I just invited a bunch of people, and I had like 16 people in the Zoom room, and I did all that material then, and I'm taking all those sets together, and I'm editing it into one 25 to 30-minute like special, including I went 
on the one year anniversary of my dad's death, I went to his grave and performed all the material just to his grave. So it's like this weird artsy thing that's like, the, it's the thing I'm the most proud of. It's called Grieving Productively. I think it will be on October 16th, I think is the day. And I'm going to have like a big reveal. Yeah, October 16th is a Friday. And I'll just have that out and have a viewing party and try to get people to check it out and share it because it's it, it's the it's I've never worked on anything harder in my life. <laughs> it's the most work I've ever put into something. Well, like <laughs> it's got I don't know if it makes it more special because of all the work that went into it, but you got a pandemic and yeah. like you're not that you'd ever forget this year anyway. <laughs> But like, yeah, what a, I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. And it's like, I'm usually somewhat, I try to be like modest or whatever, but, but it's like, I'm really proud of it. I'm like 20 and I got 20 of the 30 minutes done. I got a couple more weeks of editing and I've got some cool cuts where it's like, I'm the setup. The beginning of the premise is me at the grave, talking to my dad, trying not to cry. And then right when the punchline hits, I'm cutting to the live shows and so you're hearing the punchline in front of an audience. You're getting the audience response. I did different tags at different shows. So I'll cut to the tags from a different set or I'll cut to a joke that I only did once at an open mic. And it's just like this whole long free-flowing thing. Some of it's super funny. Some of it's not. There's like moments where I'm like legitimately almost crying in it and just trying to just trying to do something different that's not a normal stand-up special that's about grief and loss because I think like a lot of fucking people are dealing with that right now. Like this whole pandemic thing is insane. Now, have you been recording yourself the entire way? I mean, like, no. did you know, like, like last year when he died? Okay, well, this is what I'm going to do. So no. every mic. I right. thought that I would do, I, like, I got into the habit of recording a lot of shows, a lot of good shows, but like finding places where that material will work was always really hard. So there's some times where I forgot to record and I had a good set and I couldn't do it. Or there will be times where um, the audio didn't work out great or, or something like that. So I've got like a few really good sets where the stuff is working and it's not it bombing at an open mic. And then somewhere it is bombing and it's like going through that stuff's really hard and finding out where stuff fits. But yeah, I wish that I had known that I was going to because my plan was to just do it on my five year comedy anniversary in front of a packed room at the home, uh, the Southern in Charlottesville, which is like where me and my buddy Chris run shows out of. Uh, and we, we had, we're a pretty big draw in Charlottesville. So in Charlottesville, if we do one of our book shows, we could get like 80 to a hundred people there. So like I was assuming I would headline, bring in a hundred people. And then I would just do all that material once and record it from three different angles, like a regular comedy special. And then, I mean, not thankfully, but I think this is going to turn out better because of how different it is and how uniquely edited it is and how it feels more like an artistic piece than just a stand-up special. So we'll see. This, this COVID might be the best thing that's ever happened to my career. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. You know, and if 200,000 people had to die to make that happen. If they did, yeah. Why it's not? Like, yeah, exactly. You know, it's uh, between my dad and those 200,000 people dying. Uh, I might have a career when this is all said and done. So <laughs> This last gift he gave me was an, was an act. <laughs> hey, you got to think positively, you know, otherwise yeah. you go nuts. Exactly. No, he would be proud of it. That's the only reason I'm doing it is he would like it. My mom is pretty stoked about it. She doesn't like all the cursing, so she probably won't watch it. But she said, she's like, your dad would be proud of you. She's like, but I'm not, I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, that makes sense. You don't want to hear jokes about your husband. What'd your dad think about your comedy? Oh man, he was a huge fan. Uh, he liked, he liked my comedy, uh, a lot. He got on stage one time when I, because I host a comedy game show that I'm going to bring back. But when I did it in person, he got on stage for one of the games and uh, it was great. It's one of the best comedy memories ever. He came to everything he could come to. So he was a, he was a huge fan, super supportive dude. 
Yeah, my parents have seen me three times, I think. My dad's seen me three times, my mom twice. My mom hates stand-up, and I think I killed it for her anyway. <laughs> awesome. So, like, it didn't matter. My dad's like, hey, if you like doing it, go for it. I'm like, all right, that's not supportive, but that's awesome. awesome. I'll take it. Yeah, my mom's supportive too, but she just doesn't like uh, all the cursing and stuff. She likes it better when I work. Uh, I'll do church shows, and I'll do clean shows, and she prefers to come to those. And I'm like, yeah, I'll let you know when I work at church, and I'll just come do clean crowd work. <laughs> Do you get booked a lot of churches? Yeah, I do a fair amount. Um, uh, oh, wow, okay. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird, man. I just like being able to work everything. So it's like I grew up in the church. I'm still pretty uh, – I'm somewhat religious. So like they'll just ask me to do it and it's fun every time I do it. It's not the only gig I would like to do because it's a lot of different material I have to do. And it's mostly just super clean crowd work is what I like to do at the church shows. But it's fun, man. It, it's weird. It's like when you do really well at a church, they're like – so excited that you came because it's so different than like they're so much more thankful to having seen something uh funny and i just try not to be hacky but it's fun i like i like church shows i like clubs better but churches are fun do you get a cut of the collection plate dude dude some shows will do a love offering where they're like we're gonna pass the collection plate around and whatever you want to give to winston uh for sharing his gift with us uh other times it's just a regular check like hey we're gonna pay you 250 bucks to do the show it's like, hey, cool, that's great. And then, uh, but the collection plate ones usually make out a little bit better because people are pretty generous. Is there an obligation to give half of that back, like a 50 50 raffle? No, but I do always tithe. Um, if I'm doing a church show, I always donate 10% of what I get. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it just, it usually makes sense. And, and it might not be 10% at that moment and it might not be 10% to that church, but I'll give like 10% to my church or I'll, or I'll give chari- give money away to charity. Um, just because I'm just like, you know what? It would just be disingenuous to like, take this money from the church. Like there's one time where I did a show and I like, they were also doing like a food drive and I would just like, I'll buy some food for the food drive and stuff like that. Cause it's just like, I just factor in that I'm going to be making less money uh, than I thought I'd be making. And, and people usually seem to fuck with that pretty hard. They seem to like it. My parents are musicians and I used to okay. play at churches too. So every Christmas and Easter they'll go. And I asked my dad, I said, do you, do you ever give the money back? And he goes, no, because they, <laughs> they, they've got a music budget. We're going to spend their money and we're fine with it. Yeah, like, that's okay, fair. Fair enough. They, because they do, ha- they do absolutely have a budget. So it's like, there's nothing wrong with not giving it. I just know that like, uh, it was a nice small thing that I could do that would make my parents happy. So I was like, yeah, it's not a big deal to give like 25 bucks of this to the church. And it's just like, they fed me too. Cause usually it's like, you also get a meal. So I'm just like, all right, I'm pretending I'm paying for the meal and I'm donating right. this. And then it's like, cause at, at, at most shows where I'm making that a lot, like unless it's a club, the meal's not covered and I'm going to eat at the venue anyway. So. Well, I was talking to a couple of buddies uh, yesterday, and I haven't been drinking much at all since the pandemic began. Yeah. Because I'm not at a bar doing a show. And like, <laughs> whenever I do a show at a bar, I feel obligated to buy something because, hey, you're paying me to be here. I'll give some yeah. back. So now I think like my liver is much more healthy. Yeah. With the pandemic. Great, man. Yeah. I always felt that uh, urge too, but I would just get water and just tip on water. I'm just like, I'm not paying for alcohol here. I don't want, I don't, I don't really like to drink very much. And I'm like, I'm not going to fucking give 10% of my money to the bar. <laughs> and I've done so many bar shows for free that it's like, I don't feel like I owe bars money. It's like, I've done right. so many, so many, so many times they've gotten free entertainment out of me. I know. Like, and that's the thing. It's like, oh, well, you're being paid an exposure. I'm like, well, 
fuck you. It's not awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, it like, sucks. I can't. Exposure doesn't, you know, make my just my car drive from here to there. Yeah, it does does nothing. Exposure is horseshit, especially in a pandemic. Yeah, exactly. But it's also like your bar, like exposure at your bar. You're not Comedy Central. I would gladly do a set for free on Netflix. You know what I'm saying? Like I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. Like that's exposure. I'm on. Give me a half hour. Pay me no money. That I'm okay with. Doing ten minutes at your shitty bar. Pay me money to have to be here. <laughs> please or meal tab that's the thing like i don't understand why more bars don't offer a meal or a couple drinks or something like that all right i know i know you're not gonna pay me a bunch but give me something it 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 costs them nothing (laughs) to to, to do that it's like like at cost i think food is like a third of what it is on the menu like i think that that's what the cost is is what i've always heard it's it's like your your menu cost is um, a third of its profit, a third of it is to pay to get it made, and a third of it is what it is at cost. And it's like, all right, then that's like fucking yeah, that's fine. Like that's give me a chicken sandwich. It costs you two dollars to feed me. <laughs> I'll even bring the chicken from home. Yeah, you I can. Mean, I just need buns. Just give me buns, <laughs> please, or a bun. I don't even need buns. Just give me one bun. So, what's the plan with the the special once it's all done? You're releasing it online or? Yeah, I'm gonna put it on YouTube, and I'm going to absolutely call in as many favors as I can um, to friends that work at different newspapers and friends that work at different online things and just friends in general, just to be like, just share this for me, please. Cause I think it's good enough that if people watch it, it will get me some traction. And I think it could spread like wildfire. Cause I do think it's really good and really different and really unique, but it's going to be the type of thing where I'm just going to have to call in a lot of favors and I'll pay some money to have it advertised on Facebook and figure out the best way to do it. But like, I just really feel like, if the people that I've met either through displaced comics or just like the friends I had in real life were to just share it a couple times, um, I could get quite a few views on it and it would just be like the type of thing that would, I'm just going to have to be shameless when I'm asking people and I'm going to post it on Reddit. Um, cause my buddy, uh, who's a comic taught me this is it's like, if you have someone post it for you on our videos, uh, the subreddit for just all videos and you're not the original cause you just can't post your own shit on there. And you have your friends go and all click upvote at the same time, it'll get moved to the top of the thing. And that's just how you get stuff jump started on it. And he got like, he did like a 10 minute set and he got like, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand views on it. And it's one of those things where like, I think that coupled with people just sharing it and trying to, I'm just going to put my Venmo on it. And if people want to give me a couple bucks, they can, but if, but it's going to be completely free because I'm just using it as a way to like further my career and to get some followers and to keep pushing my podcasts and stuff like that. So that's the plan, but we'll see if not, I'll just have made a cool thing that nobody watched. <laughs> which is okay <laughs> which is okay that's that's fine most cool things nobody watches so but, but i mean what were you gonna do the last six months like nothing N- yeah nothing jack shit so might as well just get my shit together and try so well, that's awesome man well i, I appreciate you being here uh, it was good talking to you good no thanks for you. having me man this is awesome yeah it's good to know you too man this is awesome you have anything to to plug i mean aside from the the special yeah but, man uh, that's special yeah, that's special October 16th. It's called Grieving Productively. You can follow me at Winston H. Comedy on Twitter and Instagram. And then WinstonHodges.com has links to literally everything else that I do. I got a bunch of super fun podcasts and weekly live streams. And just, yeah, check out my stuff. And uh, yeah, that's all. Awesome, man. Well, again, I appreciate it, man. And I'll talk to you in a bit. Yeah, sounds good, dude. Thanks. Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in